0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to share with you some things today that will on one hand flow over your heart as familiar and as warm, but then I want to share the word with you. Last night, I went to Google, and I Googled a Personal Relationship with Jesus. I was interested in what popped up. One of the first ones that popped up was a piece from Living on the Edge. You've probably heard that radio broadcast. I want to read for you this description of beginning your relationship with God. The fact reading now, the fact that you clicked on this ad and that you're asking this question may be the greatest decision you've ever made. You know, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't understand what it meant to have a personal, authentic relationship with God. But I would like to share with you, not my opinion, but what God says in His Word, the Bible. The Scripture is very clear. God loves you. He cares about you regardless of where you've been and what you've done, the failures, the hurts, the struggles, however successful you happen to be, and find an emptiness and wondering, but there's got to be more to life than this. Now, my cell phone just went crazy, and I'm going to quickly try to find again our place here we go this is the danger of reading from the telephone but i would like to share with you not my opinion but what god says in his word the bible the scriptures very clear god loves you he cares about you he's active And if you will call out and if you will seek him, he promises he'll make himself known to you. And here's the message that he has for you. There's part of it that's very bad news and there's part that's really good news. But you can't get to the good news until you hear the bad news. The bad news is that despite how sophisticated or religious or smart or successful or broken, however you may come, is that the Scripture says that you and me and everyone on the face of the earth has a major problem. We have sinned. We sh- we fall short of the glory of God. I don't mean that we've done just a few bad things, but we've missed the mark. As one guy put it, he said, You know, to have a relationship with God, since He's perfect and He's holy— you have to have a perfect score of 100. And even if the Billy Grahams and the Mother Teresas of the world are in in the, you know, the 93s or the 95s, people like us may be in the 75s or the 80s. You know what? If you don't get a score of 100 in in God's economy, it's a failure. He's perfect. He's pure. So there's no way I can't be kind enough, religious enough. I can never earn God's favor. And so the scriptures say, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that what you might have a relationship with him. Jesus said to us, he came that you might have life. You might have it abundantly. You have all sinned. The bad news is you got to admit that you've got to own it, not just intellectually, but to realize you've offended a holy God. You have a mini rebellion on your hands, a mini coup where it might be, you know, with your fists like this and, and God, I don't want you. It might be passive rebellion where you're a religious, nice, moral person, but you say, God, I'll, I'll live life on my terms, my way. Both of these are sin that causes you and me to fall short of the glory of God. But the bad news is that it gets even worse. Not only have all sinned, but the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. One of the most brilliant men in the New Testament told us that what happens when you and I sin is that there's a payment, there's a wage, and it means separation from God forever and ever. And when I sin with people, there's death. It brings separation. When I lie, when I steal, when I say things harsh out of my mouth to people that I love and what I want, you know, for your eternal destiny, that the bad news isn't just that you've sinned, but that sin, unless addressed, will keep you separated from God for all eternity. And I'm telling you, it will bring His heart. The Scripture says God's not willing that any single person perish, but everyone come to a knowledge of Christ. So, let's get to the good news. The good news is that even though you can't do anything to merit a relationship with God, God sent His Son Jesus, fully God and fully man, and that fully human, fully God-man died upon a cross to pay for or cover your sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. That's not something that means just you live forever and ever. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Christ, and the good news has to be acted on. You know, if I had a million dollars and I said it's in a bank account here, it's in a Zurich number in Switzerland, and I will give it to you, You know that you could have that number, you could agree with that number, you could know that that number, but until you plug that number in on your computer, it doesn't download the money to your bank account. I want you to know there is a bank account in heaven where your sins are covered more than a billion dollars. Your sins, once and for all, by the blood of Christ, have been paid for. You need to receive him by faith. You need to log on to God's eternal economy. And and he says the way you do it is by the simple hands of faith. You say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want you to come into my life right now. Cleanse me. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. As many as receive him, the scripture says he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so... I don't know where you're at, but I can tell you that when I was 18 years old, not understanding very much, God took all these passages about the bad news that I've sinned, that the wages of sin is death, that he made a provision by Christ dying in my place for my sin, and that he rose again from the dead to prove it's true. And then I wondered, what do I do, God? And people said, you just need to receive him. That seemed too easy, too simple. He says it's a gift. And I remember hearing the verse about Jesus standing at the door of my heart saying, Chip, will you let me in? I want to have a relationship with you. I want to forgive you. But you know what? I won't barge in unless you open the door of your life and your heart and turn from your sin and ask me to come in. I'll stay on the outside. And God is saying to you right now in this moment, If you will turn to me, if you will say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I've blown it, I've sinned, I've offended you, I've even hurt other people that I'm really sorry about, will you forgive me, will you cleanse me from all my sin, will you come into my life right now? And I will tell you, as you ask him to do that, he's promised, I will come in. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, he loves you, he cares for you. You are right now at the biggest crossroads of your life. And it's not just today or tomorrow that will make a difference. It's all of eternity. He wants you to know in this moment, on this day, at this time, that you can have eternal life. Now the ball's in your court. What would you do with the greatest gift that's ever been offered to you? Will you trust Him and accept Him? Will you turn away? The decision is yours. If you would like to pray to receive Christ in a very simple way, you can bow your head and, and bow your heart and pray something very similar to, Lord Jesus, I want to ask you right now to forgive me of my sin. I want to admit that I have violated you as a holy God. But on this day, I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead and I'm asking you to be my savior. He will answer that prayer. And if you prayed that, would you log on and let us know? And we have some resources to help you grow in your brand new relationship with Christ. You're joining a group of dysfunctional other people that have lots of struggles and lots of ups and downs. But I will tell you, it will be the greatest journey of your life. We care about you. We love you. And we'd love to be of help. That's from livingontheedge.org. I've spent a lot of time to read this to you for one simple reason. It flows over your heart like a comforting blanket. And it's not true. Almost every word spoken is a lie. Now, I could take you now to many other pages where you will hear the same thing over and over and over from many different organizations. They are all lying to you. This deception is so deep and so ugly, and Satan has pulled it off with such finesse. I believe the one writing this, Chip I believe that he honestly believes that this is how you have a personal relationship with God. I'm not saying that he's intentionally lying to you. I'm saying the whole church in America has been utterly deceived. This is not what the scriptures teach. Nowhere in the scriptures does it teach. Nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus say, Come and accept me. And I will, with you, have a personal relationship. That's a narcissistic American church lie. The scriptures don't teach that. Now he has quoted a couple of scriptures in here, and I'll take you to the places where those scriptures are and show you that he has utterly taken them out of context that this is not what the scriptures are teaching. This is very painful. And I've tried to come at this in a very direct way and yet be kind. And yet I see that there has to be a confrontation of this wickedness. For example, in this passage that I just read from Living on the Edge, he very clearly teaches that Jesus forgave you for past, present, and future sins when he died on the cross. That's not what the scriptures teach. He tells you that God loves you. And while that is true, there are conditions that must be met if one is to enter into salvation and it is not a little sinner's prayer. Nowhere in the Scriptures is any person ever invited by Jesus, by the apostles, by the writers of Scripture. Nowhere is any person ever invited to enter into Jesus by a sinner's prayer. It's just not there. This teaching... This sophomoric, intellectually dishonest approach to the gospel of Jesus is why in America today we have utterly lost all moral values. It's because of this kind of teaching that America is going down the tube. I don't blame it on President Obama. I don't blame it on the political apparatus. I don't blame it on the media. I don't blame it on Hollywood. They've all played their part in utter disregard of righteousness. The whole bunch of them are liars. But that's not why America's gone down the tube. America is dying because moral values have been cast out and there's been a total misrepresentation of what the gospel of Jesus is. The common faith in America is this which I have just read to you. Now let me go to the scriptures and share with you very simply what John the Baptist had to say as he introduced the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist did not come saying, look, the Messiah is coming and I want you to accept him. I want you to have a personal relationship with him. Did you know the scriptures do not Teach that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. I can almost hear the radios being clicked off because people are saying, Pastor, you've lost it, you are unhinged, you are gone. I know these are the these are the things that have been taught, but the result is ungodliness. John the Baptist opened his ministry in Matthew the third chapter, the second verse, By coming to the desert of Judea and preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the first introduction to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not Jesus loves you. It's not God loves you. The first word is repent. Verse 8 Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Then, if you go to chapter four of the book of Matthew, in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Did you hear this dear brother from living on the edge open his message with repent? Of course not. No. What does repent mean? Repent means to turn from your wicked behavior. It means there must be a radical change in your life. So Jesus came Opening his gospel message with a confrontation with the Jewish people saying, look, there has to be a radical change in your life. That was the same message that John the Baptist came with. This is the same message that the apostles came with. Repent. And then if you go to Acts, And you read the first sermon that is preached in the New Testament church after Pentecost. Peter faces them squarely with what they have done with Jesus as they have crucified him. And then he says, Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, and be baptized. That is, repent, and be crucified with Christ. That's the message. Any other message is not the common message of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Scripture. It is a worldly gospel. It is an ugly, sentimental gospel. It is a Santa Claus, cotton candy Jesus message. It is not from the Jesus of Scripture. Verse 14, chapter 3 of Acts. Repent, turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent. All of the apostles came with the same message. They came with the message, repent. If you go to Romans, which is the classic statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the unfolding of the fullness of the gospel. Listen to the introduction. Romans, the first chapter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. In other words, Paul is saying right up front, look, I'm going to talk to you about the need for obedience in your life. And then Romans unfolds for us the way that obedience can come to pass. And the obedience is not by way of the law. The obedience is by totally being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, Romans, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now I have to stop, and I have to tell you very honestly. I am desperately ashamed of the American gospel. For it is no gospel at all. It is a lie. I could take you to churches today that resemble the Kennedy Center more than they do a church. They resemble a dance club more than they do a church. We're in one mega church here in the Washington, D.C. area. A man stands on the stage in his blue sequin suit and his cane and he dances. A worldly, provocative, sexualized dance. And everybody hoots and hollers, people who supposedly have come to worship Jesus. And then they have all of the hip-hop music. They have the strobe lights. They have the fog machine. They have the blue and, light, blue and red lights flashing. It looks like a Broadway play. It is entertainment first to last, but the pastor will stand up and say, God is among us. And God called you here. No, Jesus didn't call you to that church. The devil did to fool you and deceive you and take you to hell. Many of you belong to churches like this. It is a false gospel. I am ashamed of the gospel of the American Church, I am horrified by it. I am nauseated by it. I am made—I am made sick by it. Because it is a lie, and it is deceiving God's people. He goes on. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus from Scripture because it is the dunamis, it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, this gospel that I just read from the American church says that 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 righteousness is Jesus' righteousness, but not your righteousness. They say you are covered by that righteousness by what they call grace. They're lying. That's not grace. That's a deception. Grace is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's what washes us. The blood of Jesus is used and makes us clean. He makes us literally righteous. He does not impart righteousness. He infuses righteousness. He makes you righteous in reality. This is the gospel of Jesus. Any gospel that says that Jesus loves you unconditionally is a lying gospel. It is a worldly gospel. It is not the gospel of Scripture. And then he changes his tone. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The truth of the gospel is being suppressed in the churches and the pulpits of America because they're saying you are always going to sin. Do you remember what he said in this piece that I read? He was very clear. Billy Graham is maybe a 95, Mother Teresa maybe a 97. So that leaves us maybe a a 65. In other words, you can never walk clean before God. You're always going to be sinning against God. That's a lie. That's a denial of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's ugly. It's putrid. I talk with Christians all the time who who call themselves Christians, and I say, are you clean before Jesus? And they would say, well, no, I've got things in my life I'm working with. Well, what do you mean you've got things in your life you're working with? Well, I know I should not be looking at pornography, but God understands. I know I should not be getting angry with my wife. I know I should not be cursing. I know that I should not have this bitterness in my heart. I'm working on it. Well, my brother, my sister, the false gospel says you can never get rid of those things and so you spend the rest of your life working on it and you're not saved until you die. Obviously, then death is your savior and not the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus cannot remove your sin here and now, it's a false blood and I don't want to be a Christian like that. Either the blood of Jesus gives me victory over sin Or it's no gospel at all. What gospel would it be where Satan is allowed to come and ravage me time after time with temptation and I give in to it time after time and I have no power to stand in the blood of Jesus and be victorious over the devil, over the flesh, and over the world? If I can't be victorious, why is it a gospel? It is no gospel. And they say, well... When when God looks at you at the judgment day, he's going to look at you, and he's not going to see you. He's going to see Jesus. Well, Jesus is the judge according to Scripture. You mean when Jesus looks at me, he's going to just see himself in a mirror and say, come on in, Ray, you're a sinner, but you're welcome to come because I don't see your sin. I just see myself when I look at you. What a phony shell game is that? if you enter heaven, it will mean that you are victorious over all known sin. That you have been washed, you have been cleansed, you have been purified, you have been made holy, you have been sanctified, you have been made righteous. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look into at the passage that he suggested in Romans, the 6th chapter. Let me read it for you. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he's taken that passage out of context totally and said that you have been relieved of the death penalty because your sin is no longer seen by God. But let's read the verse before. Let's read verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, it does not say now that you've been set free from the visible sin that God can see. Because now you're hidden under this supposed blanket of grace, which is a total lie. That is not what grace is. Grace is never in Scripture a blanket. It's a bright light. It's the influence of God on your life. It is unmerited favor as God comes by his grace and he transforms you and changes you into himself. But listen to this passage. This is the one just before the one he took out of context. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become due loss to God, what does. Do loss mean? Well, it's translated slaves, but what does it mean? Do loss means that I do not have a right to money. I do not have a right to property. I do not have a right to family. I do not have a right to anything. I am the sole property of my master. I am purchased. I am property to him. And Paul is saying, I have been set free from sin and have become a slave, a loss to God. He says the benefit you reap leads to holiness, purity, and the result is eternal life. So Paul would say there is no eternal life without holiness. There is no eternal life without leaving all of your sin. Now you can sentimentalize and you can read and listen to preachers like I just shared with you. And they will tell you just the opposite. But I ask you, what is the basis of your faith, a preacher's word or the scripture? Now, you can take passages out of context and you can twist them. You can make them say whatever you want them to say to you. And I read this passage in Ephesians that he quoted for it is by grace, this is Ephesians 2 verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship. He didn't read that part. He takes passages out of context and then interprets them the way he chooses to interpret them. And so salvation language has been corrupted in the American church and even in the translations of some of our Bibles. I'll show you that in just a moment. For it is by grace you have been saved. And so, if you interpret grace as a blanket, then it is by the blanket being put over you. When you accepted Jesus, the blanket went over you, and now you're saved. But that's not the meaning of the word grace. When Titus, in the second chapter, defines grace, He says it is what convicts us of sin and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So if the divine influence of God is working in your heart, the first thing you will do is repent. You will be under deep, heartbroken conviction regarding your true heart. Condition And many of you have become so hardened by this wicked, worldly, American church message of soft, sentimental religion. And you have believed it. And so you have never had to deal with the true condition of the rebellion in your heart toward Jesus. And so you are free to feast on the smorgasbord of the world's entertainment. You are free to walk as the world walks. You are in charge of your own life. You are not a, aware that you have been called to be a loss of God and to give up everything for Jesus Christ. You've never been told that. It's offensive to you. May I tell you very honestly and very frankly, the gospel of Jesus Christ is extremely offensive to a sinner. And if you have become a follower of Christ Jesus and you are still walking in sin, you have been taught a false gospel and your salvation hangs in the balance and you are well on your way to hell. You are hanging as our dear brother Jonathan Edwards said, by the single strand of a spider web over hell. I don't say that to you lightly. The salvation that Jesus Christ came to offer us is not self-help. It is not trying the rest of your life to be a good person. It is not struggling against your temper and struggling to have patience. The gospel of Jesus does not teach that Christians constantly struggle against their sin. Against temptation? Yes, temptation will always come. But not against our sin. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. It's not, it's not my power. It is the power of God. It says, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is something God does in us. This is something God does for us. And if you go back to Romans, the sixth chapter, he says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? There was a false grace being taught back then. And Paul says, No. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you are not living that new life, that new life without sin against God, then you have not been saved. You have believed a false gospel. He says, for we, in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now there are people who contact me. And weep crocodile tears and say, Pastor, I just can't overcome this. And my word to them is, Of course you cannot overcome it. You cannot overcome sin by trying hard. You cannot white-knuckle overcoming sin. Sin can only be overcome by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and it is a work that God must do in us. Do you understand? Righteousness is not a work that we can do. It is a work that God does in us, but it requires that we be willing to die, that we lay our life down. And so when a man comes to me and he says, I just can't overcome this sin, My word to him is, my brother, you must die. What do I mean you must die? I mean you must utterly, once and for all, give up all of your ambitions and all of your dreams and all of your hopes and you must become a slave of Jesus Christ. You must give up your life. You must repent. There must be a radical change in your behavior. You no longer own yourself. And so you're going to cut the television off. You're going to cut the movies off. You're going to cut the professional sports off. You are going to cut off all of the entertainment of the world. You are going to focus your entire energy upon Jesus Christ. You are going to seek him with all of your heart. You are going to pursue righteousness with all of your heart. You are going to weep before him, and you are going to say, Lord, remove this. I hate it. Remove it from me. Or you're going to say, Jesus, I, I love this sin. Would you make me hate it? And he will do that. I prayed for a man who was smoking for many years tobacco, And I said, may I pray for you? He said, yes, please. Many have prayed for me in the past. And so I prayed and I asked Jesus if he would remove this lust for tobacco from this man who had emphysema but still was smoking. He was dying but he was still smoking. The next week at church I saw him. And I said to him, have you stopped smoking? He said, no, of course not. I said, oh, I understand. May I pray for you again? Oh, yes, pastor, you may pray for me. I said, Lord Jesus, my brother loves his sin. He loves his cigarettes. I am now asking Jesus if you would put a curse upon his Love for cigarettes. I'm asking if you would make him hate his cigarettes. Lord, I'm not asking you to cause him to stop smoking. I'm asking, would you make him hate his sin? And I said, amen. And he looked at me with a smile and he said, yes, of course I love my sin. He came back the next week and he was very upset. He said, Pastor, I don't know what's happened to me, but I tried to smoke this week and it made me sick. I hate these cigarettes. I can't stand the smell of them. I can't stand the smell of myself and my car. It's a stench to me. It makes me sick. What did you pray, Pastor? I didn't even listen. I rejoiced with him over his victory by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's so much more I want to share with you. We're almost out of time. Let me just take a few minutes. I'm going to invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. You will not find entertainment there. You will only find men and women, a small handful, who are very serious about pursuing Jesus Christ. You will find young people who are just beginning the journey at the very first steps, who are basically biblically illiterate. You will also find mature Christians who have successfully walked this road and who are walking day by day without any known sin in their lives, who are walking victorious in Jesus Christ. And you will find everything in between. But the message that you will hear and the testimonies you will hear will all be about the glorious and wonderful Jesus that we serve. You will hear that Jesus has the power to break all sin. And you will find people who are more than eager to pray for you in agreement with you that Jesus will accomplish this work in your heart. Now, don't come if you don't want this kind of work in your life. But if you do, and you want to get serious about Jesus, then the National Prayer Chapel is for you. But you will hear, repent. You will not hear, oh, Jesus loves you, and he's covered you, even though Jesus does love you, and his blood will wash you and make you clean. But it won't be taught to you in the lying way, I shared with you at the beginning of this broadcast. We preach Jesus, the risen Lord, the almighty, the righteous one. So I invite you to come. It doesn't matter how far you have to drive. It doesn't matter what the cost is. How far would you drive to fulfill some hunger in your heart? Some of you would drive miles and pay thousands of dollars just to watch a baseball game or a football game or a hockey game. Some of you would drive for miles to go to a shopping center. I see over here at the Potomac Mills Mall, I see buses coming in from Lancaster. I see buses rolling in from all around the country as people want to come and get a deal. Where are the people who want Jesus? Where are the people who recognize that they have been taught a false gospel and they now want Jesus and they want to be washed and cleansed and purified? Where are the people who are going to have to sit on a mourner's bench and pray through and find out how to get to Jesus. Are you one of those? Then you need to come to the prayer chapel. Now, there are other churches that preach faithfully a gospel of righteousness. I cannot even begin to say that the National Prayer Chapel is the only church in Washington that preaches the true gospel. I've heard a few other pastors, but believe me, they are very few. One black brother I listen to regularly, and he preaches a straight word of God. He preaches that you cannot, by your own struggling, stop sinning. He preaches a straight word that it is the blood of Jesus Christ. I love this, brother. He preaches a straight word that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes you and cleanses you and makes you righteous in reality, not in some phony shell game. But I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. The address, we rent space from a wonderful family church that has treated us with such love and compassion. It's All Saints Anglican Church and Emmanuel Anglican Church. They're both wonderful family churches that have treated us with such kindness. The All Saints Anglican Church we rent space from. We begin at 12 noon with corporate prayer crying out to God. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Two two one nine two. That address again, All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. We're located literally right next to the Hilton Memorial Event Center. We're right off 95 South at the Woodbridge exit. I invite you to come. Drive around to the back side of the building, and you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in, those double glass ground level doors in the back, and you'll find the Center for the National Prayer Chapel immediately on your left hand side. We begin at 12 noon. Come if you're interested in Jesus and you want to learn the true gospel of Jesus. Now, I also invite you to give to support this radio broadcast. We are not listener-supported. We are Jesus-sponsored and supported. He moves in the hearts of those that he calls to give. I'd like to invite you to give to help cover this month. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel... Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, we're almost out of time for today's broadcast. I have so much more I want to share with you. Let me pray. Almighty God, we cannot apprehend, we cannot comprehend, it cannot get clear in our hearts if we don't earnestly study the scriptures for ourselves. For, Lord, we have been lied to in the American church for so many years that this lying message of cheap grace and cheap salvation has just become part of the culture of the American church, and to speak against it causes people to rise up in anger. Lord, I plead today for every person who has listened to this broadcast and every person who has angrily turned off the broadcast. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will go forth and that whatever they heard will find root in their heart and cause them to come to you with a repentant heart, to get clean by your blood, to be washed of their sin in reality. Lord, thank you. I pray your blessing and your love for each one who has listened in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I love you, my brother, my sister. I don't want you to walk in the wickedness of the worldly church. They sound very religious, but I don't want you there. I want you in Jesus. So I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.